Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. What a prayer to pray, isn't it? Lord God, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. And you know what? My prayer for you today is that you will never stop needing God every hour. <laughs> um, I'd like to, to say that, you know, Pam, I hope that someday, you know, you'll get to a point where you don't need the Lord, right? <laughs> but but that's, that's, not, uh, that's not my hope. That's not my desire. It's a great thing when we are completely dependent on the Lord for his grace and his mercy in each day. I'm going to dismiss the kids to head on over for Kingdom Kids. The yachts are there, uh, they're in the back, and uh, we anticipate with Sam and Sarah, they're about a month, is it like exactly a month away from your due date? Yeah, about exactly a month, and so um, we're excited for that. Yeah, we're awaiting the arrival of their little baby girl, and Lucy is about to be a big sister, so we're very excited for all of them. Um, also, um, just wanted to say welcome home to Jackson Steimer. Wave your hand over there, Jackson. Grateful to have him back. Uh, just graduated last Saturday from the Free Lutheran Bible College in Minneapolis, um, where I think finally Medicine Lake, right close by, had finally thawed out by then, right? Yes. Um, and so I think um, Jackson's uh, happy to be home now and uh, here in Southern California, but had an awesome two years there and so grateful for his time there. Also for Lauren Seba, yeah, it's already been two years that they've they've gone and and uh, they've come home now. Lauren and Greg and Mary, they are en route um, back to California. They were taking a long road trip back and so uh, they plan to be back this week. Also, um, just want to send a greeting from AJ Hall. Many of you remember AJ. AJ just finished his first year at the Bible College and I got to see him yesterday. He actually was just home for a few days and then he was uh, flying back there to do some more work over the next few few weeks, and then um, he's planning to spend the summer up in Idaho. Um, he's not moving to Idaho, don't worry, just like, you know, so many other people from California moving to Idaho, uh, but he's going up there this summer to minister at a Bible camp, and so uh, we're excited for AJ, and um, he uh, just last month, or back in March, uh, went on a missions trip uh, with the Bible College um, down to uh, Mexico and had a great experience down there, and he's just so grateful for his time there at the Bible College, excited to go back for a second year, and uh, so we're excited for AJ. Uh, well, we're going to jump back into James, and so James chapter 4, and we're talking today about our plans in God's hands. Um, that's what James is getting at here in James chapter 4, as we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. Um, several years ago, um, as I was thinking about uh, this topic here of just our plans in, in God's hands, several years ago, I was at a lunch table at the Fly Convention out in Colorado, um, where uh, 
six of our students are going to be heading this summer. We're very excited for them. But I was at a lunch table with, um, there was a student from Camarillo um, that was, um, had been connected with our church many years ago. And so was visiting with him. And, and there was another pastor that was there sitting at the table. And we were just um, just having good conversation. And, and we were talking to this young man. Um, he was about to graduate high school. And so naturally, you know, the thing to talk about is, okay, so what's next? What, do you, what are you going to do with the rest of your life now that you're about to graduate? And it was really fun to um, hear about his plans. And he, um, um, unlike some students, kind of had like a whole plan laid out. Um, it seemed to be that he had kind of like a whole five-year plan uh, laid out before him. And, and it was encouraging. It was actually really impressive. And, and he was, um, you know, growing in his faith and, and wanting to commit his plans to the Lord. And, and so he was going to be doing a one-year program and then was going to move on to uh, finish college over the next few years and um, knew what career he wanted to go into. And, and it was fun to hear about all this. And so we were sitting there listening to it. And, and uh, this pastor that was sitting there was uh, very in, listening very attentively and uh, affirming these things. And then he asked this question. He said, have you written these plans down? And he said, yeah, I actually have. And then he asked, did you write them in pencil? <laughs> and he's like, no, I did not write them down in pencil. And I thought that was just such a great question uh, for him to, him to consider. And for all of us to consider as we think about our lives and our plans for the rest of this day, our plans for the days and the years ahead, you know, it's, it's good and it's wise to make plans and to strategize. We have to do that, right? We can't just kind of let each day just take us wherever it takes us. We do have to plan things out. But it's important that uh, from the Lord's perspective that we are, that we are plan putting those plans in pencil and, and not in pen because we don't know how God's going to lead us. We don't know how life is going to change. And that's what James is getting at here in James 4, 13 through 17. What he's doing is condemning an arrogance about the ways that we often approach our plans for the future and how we can become so consumed with strategies or business plans, how to make money or plans for schooling, and, and so much so that we can become blind to the realities of life and lose sight of the eternal perspective that God wants us to have. And so James speaks to this. Um, so James 4, 13 through 17. Um, if you haven't turned there, turn there right now. And um, I'm, as we read through this, I'm going to have us read this. Um, the words are up here on the screen. Read this out loud together. So James 4, starting at verse 13. Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray together. Lord God, 
this is your word. We pray that you would use it to teach us, to change our, our minds, to change our hearts, to have your perspective on our days in which we live. And we pray today that you would use this powerful word, Lord God, to teach us about the realities of life so that we can make the most of each day that you give us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we, before we, we get into the realities that I want to talk about this morning, just a little bit of background, you know, what is, what is James picturing right here? Uh, well, back in those days, business travel was very common in the first century, much like it is nowadays. It just looked a lot different. There was uh, obviously different, very different modes of travel, but business had to be done. And there was a lot of business plans and business travel being carried out. And what we see here... Um, implied in this is a picture of a businessman confidently planning to make a profit. And it's important to note right away, though, that the problem is not making plans. And that's actually not our problem. Our problem is not making plans. In fact, we must make plans. But the problem is this, confidently talking as if those plans are just going to happen. That I've made these plans, here's my plan in front of me, and it, it is going to happen. And the greatest danger in this is not so much being wrong when those plans change or when those plans crash and burn. The greatest danger is living and planning in such a way that God has no place in our plans. That's really the ultimate danger, is when we plan when God has no place in those plans. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at three realities about life that motivate us to make the most of each day to bring glory to the Lord's name and ultimately to plan and commit our plans to God's will. Keep God's will at the center. Plans and God's will are two different things. Do you realize that? Your plans and God's will can often be two different things. And I appreciate what uh, one writer says about this passage here, and I think this puts it into perspective for us, that all Christians have to live with a dilemma. On the one hand, we need to live as though we will die tomorrow or that judgment day will come. On the other hand, since the Lord may not come for centuries, we need to plan and work on the assumption that we will live a long time yet and that our churches and schools must survive for centuries. That's how those two ways that we ought to live. And that's why it's so important that we never lose dependence on the Lord as we just sing about. Lord, I need you every day. I need you every hour. I need you. And the reality is that time is precious. And, and remember what the Apostle Paul says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And so I want to dive into, as we see in this text, three realities about life that should motivate each day. And the first is that God is in charge it's a simple thought, 
and something that we talk about frequently, but something that we forget so easily, isn't it? And what I want to ask you is, is do you believe that God is sovereign and in charge over life and death and over your activities and over your accomplishments? And if so, if, if you believe that, you ought to live and make plans as if he's in charge. And if he's in charge, we should frame our lives and plan according to verse 15, what it says so plainly. It says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we live and do this or that. Proverbs 19, 20 and 21 speaks to this. It says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Again, this isn't condemning making plans, thinking toward the future, strategizing, but it's ultimately the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And that's what James is teaching here as he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, knowing that God is in charge should encourage us. It means that we don't have to know how things are going to play out, and that should encourage us because of all the uncertainties in our lives. And knowing that God is in charge should create a healthy dependence upon him. Again, what we sang just before this message is a healthy dependence upon the Lord from hour to hour. And the best part about knowing that God is in charge, you know what the best part is, is that we know that the end is written. And I think that we sing that in a song, don't we? The end is written. We know, that, we know how it all ends. We know that, that God wins, and, and we know that Christ is victorious. In fact, he already is victorious. And sometimes we can feel as if God's not in control. Or that Christ has not conquered. We think of all the tragedies in our world, the shootings in our communities and in our neighborhoods, the wars all throughout the world, the persecution against Christians all around the world. But take heart, the story is not over yet. One day we know the ultimate reality that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So confess him now. Confess that he is in charge. Lord, you are in charge. And Lord God, I want a healthy dependence upon you. I want your will to be done in my life. And I think in our society, you know, we, we kind of grate against this. In our society, we're, you know, we're trained to work toward independence and self-sufficiency, and there's a, a healthy part of that, right? You know, in our jobs, um, or if you're supervising someone, you, you want to train someone in, but you want them to work on their own, right? And, and to, be, uh, to not be as dependent upon you, and, and that, that's a healthy thing. Um, in, in our parenting, you know, um, especially when you have young kids, it's like you're kind of, you're waiting for that day <laughs> when, uh, when, when they're more, more help than, uh, than work, right? And contributing more in the home and being more self-sufficient. And then that time passes by and you're like, oh, we want those days back, right? 
when they need us. And so, you know, in our, in our minds, in our society, for good reason, we push toward independence and self-sufficiency. But in God's economy and in our relationship with him, self-sufficiency is dangerous. May we continue to pray, Lord, I need you. Oh, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Because, Lord, you are in charge. And, Lord God, may your will be done. If the Lord wills, may we do this or that. The second reality is that life is fragile. And again, these aren't new concepts. But how quickly we can forget these things as we live from day to day. Look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's just, it's kind of like the, the fog. You know, we saw that this morning, you know, just the overcast mornings in May and in June. But look outside. You see the sunshine, you know, the, the, the fog has like, kind of like a vapor just uh, burned off. Some versions say your life is like a vapor. Here one second and gone the next. And the reality is that not one of us are guaranteed another day or another hour. And at the same time as that's, that's a, a hard thought, startling for us, hard to grasp, hard to comprehend, that should also motivate us in how we spend each day. And friends, this should not cause us to live in fear because this thought that life is fragile can cause fear. And instead, it should cause us to make the most of every moment because the time is precious. The days are evil, as the Apostle Paul says. In Luke 12, Jesus tells the parable of the rich fool. And I want to read it. It speaks for itself here. But Luke 12, starting at verse 16 says, Jesus told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And isn't this a picture of exactly what we are tempted to do and exactly what our world trains us to do? Just store up, store up what you can. To live it all, you know, to, to live it up at the end. The American mindset is, is store it up. And, and in many ways, we, we live our lives so that we can retire. We live to, to play and to relax. And don't get me wrong, I am not against retirement. But I do find it kind of crazy, like nowadays, how there's like advertisements and billboards, like for retirement, right? To, to uh, you know, that as if it's like guaranteed or something, that there's such thing as, a, you know, financially secure future when there's not. 
We can all think of people, or maybe it's part of the story of, of your family who maybe had all sorts of plans for retirement. And life throws a major curveball, or a life is cut short. And I don't even need to mention all the different ways, you know, as, as, that, that we have seen this in the last few, we, few years, just this fact that, that life is fragile. And I remember um, it was January of 2020. This is before COVID happened. Sitting over in the Connection Center, I think we were having a missions presentation when uh, alerts on, on phones went off and um, the news about uh, Kobe Bryant, that he was killed in that helicopter crash. Just how quickly life can be taken from us. And that was, that was just the beginning. That was January, and then March of 2020 rolls around. Losses, tragedies, the health crisis. And again, this should not discourage us or, or cause us to fear. This should instead motivate us to live out each day as a precious gift. And that's the good news is that each day that the Lord gives us is a precious gift. And that's the third thing. The third reality is that each day is a gift. This life is short, this mist, as it says here. But this is a precious mist. And it's interesting to see how James ends this section here. So he's talking about all this, and then verse 17, he throws this in there. He says, so whoever knows the right thing and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs> go from here. Go in his peace. It's, why, why does he end this way here? How does this tie in? If we just continue through life, confident in our own plans, our own agenda, maybe with a sprinkling of God here and there. And, and we do that sometimes, don't we? We plan and then, and then we ask God to bless those plans. When in reality, we need to start with remembering that first truth that God is in charge, that God knows what's best for me, and, and, and to pray each day, God, I start this day acknowledging that you are in control, that your plan is best for me. May I structure my day around you. And in verse 17, where it talks here about knowing the right thing to do and not doing it, this is talking about something that we call, in, I guess, theological terms, would be the sin of omission. Okay, so we're going to dive into this just briefly here. There's a difference between the sin of omission and the sin of commission. So in biblical terms, there's what we call the sin of commission, doing what God has said not to do. And all we need to think about is, is the Ten Commandments. How do all the pretty much... Most of the Ten Commandments start, what? Thou shalt not, right? No other gods before me. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. All of those things are commandments that we need to live by. And, and really, the, the law is, all the law is summed up in the commandments, but how easily we can go through our Christian lives kind of living out a checklist of the things, well, I didn't do this. 
I didn't do this. <laughs> Did I steal? To, I'm not out stealing. I'm not out murdering. I'm maybe sometimes coveting someone else's vehicle that goes by or someone, you know, the neighbor's house next door, what, whatever that is. But we can easily just focus on the sin of commission, what not to do. Well, I didn't do those bad things, <laughs> those things that God tells me not to do. But what are we supposed to do? What James then is talking about here in verse 17 is the sin of omission, of not doing what God has told us to do. What has he told us to do? Well, James has talked about this all throughout the epistle. We're in chapter 4. And so a quick fact is that in the book of James, 108 verses, okay? So it's not, not that long. But in those 108 verses, there are roughly 60 commands or references to commands. Talking about persevering under trial. How not to show favoritism and partiality. Sacrificing for the needy or other people or family or church family. Feeding the hungry. Last week we talked about using speech that builds people up. Here today, we're talking about making plans with God as the center. And so the sin of omission is just breezing past these commands and exhortations, the things that we know are right. What is it that God is calling you to do? Ways that he is in calling you to invest your time and, and your days and each hour that you have, that maybe you haven't answered the call to do or gotten up out of your chair to do it. So this past week, this past Monday, I was starting my week, trying to get a head start on everything and, you know, planning for this message and everything. And one of the places I like to go is Cafe Facel. And sometimes I walk down there in Old Town. It's just a few blocks away from our house. So I get there in the morning, get all set up, and I'm a little ways in and feeling good about it. And then the phone rings. It's Christy. And she says, I said, hi. She's like, so there is a possum in our washing machine. What do you say to that? <laughs> so, so I say, okay, there's a possum in our washing machine. I don't know what to do. And so Christy said, well, I'll call pest control. And so what had happened, Eben went out to put something in the wash and jumped, jumped back and came in screaming like a little girl. <laughs> when he should have just grabbed that, come on, no. There's a mom, there's a possum in the washing machine. So she called pest control. And, and, and the funny thing is they said, oh, it won't do any harm. And it was actually, it turns out it was a baby possum. It was not, not that big. It won't do any harm. Just pick it up by the tail and take it out. <laughs> so am I supposed to sit there at the coffee shop and just let my wife go out and, you know, pick up the possum by the tail? No. So I've 
gotta get up out of my chair, walk, you know, it wasn't a big deal. And sure enough, yeah, that's what, that's what we did. I got a pair of gloves and picked it up by the tail, put it in a bucket, and we took it out on the, uh, the little hillside next to Old Town and let it loose, just out in the wild. And that was that. We were done. That's the story of the possum in the washing machine. But how often do we just want to, we know the right thing to do, and we don't want to get up out of our chair, get out of our comfort zone, and take that right next step toward maybe it's a ministry God's calling you to get involved in, or again, maybe just a simple way of investing maybe in a family member, meeting a need of someone in the church, going to have a hard conversation with someone maybe over a disagreement or a misunderstanding. Every day there are opportunities that are before us to do the right thing, to do the, the thing that, that God has called us to do. And this verse here, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That's what we call the sin of omission. And in hearing this, this can be tough. It's kind of hard. It's convicting. But I want to tell you today that this ultimately is not a sermon about doing better, doing more with your time. That's the last thing that some of you need. We don't need that. But it's a, a sermon about living with a Christ-centered perspective. Looking to Jesus Christ who lived the principles throughout the book of James, lived these principles in the most perfect way. Think of all the opportunities that Jesus had before him. How Jesus welcomed the young children as they were coming to him, as parents were, were bringing these children to Jesus. And when the disciples are saying, no, keep them away, rebuked these people, Jesus doesn't have time for you. Jesus doesn't have time for these children. When Jesus says, no, let these children come to me, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. And how Jesus took these children, took them in his arms and blessed them. And then how Jesus, remember that moment when he paused in the midst of this huge crowd that was pressing in on him to, to notice a woman who had been subject to bleeding for years and years. And he healed her when, when a worldly way of thinking would be to, hey, I've got a captive audience here. I can woo this crowd and, and they already want to take me off to make me king. <laughs> Let's go. No, he paused he saw this need. He rescued this woman in her helplessness. And Jesus himself says about himself, he says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What if Jesus had just simply spent his days, you know, not doing the things that he shouldn't do and ignoring all the best opportunities that were in front of him? 
But Jesus didn't live that way. Instead, Hebrews says about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How does that cause us to see each day? Through the power of Christ that lives inside of each believer. Remember that we will have plenty of time for comfort and pleasure in, the dream, in, in our dreams of, of retirement when, when we're face-to-face -face with our Savior. And until then, God calls us to live in, in his will, with him as the center, making the most of the time that he's given us. And until then, what do we do? We, we as it continues in, in Hebrews 12, we, we run with endurance the race that is set before us, marked out for us, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus. That's how we walk each day. With him as the center, knowing that he has fulfilled the law for us all the things that we're not supposed to do and all the things that we know we should do. Jesus has done each of them. And we walk in his steps. We walk in his guidance. We walk in his power that lives powerfully in us. So let's pray together as we make this our commitment as we walk and make the most of each day looking to Jesus. Lord God, we submit ourselves to you, acknowledging that you are in control, you are in charge. That life here on this earth is fragile, it is uncertain. But we also recognize that each day is a precious gift from you. God, we thank you for the gift of life. And we thank you that as we look forward to that day where you will return or, or call us home, God. We, that becomes our hope, that becomes our confidence as we live from day to day. So help us walk in that confidence, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We pray in his name. Amen.